Awesome. How's everybody doing today? Sorry, that's hot. But I think you heard me, so how's everybody doing today? All right, good, good, good. Hey, can we give it up real quick for everyone that came up and read and took part in the service so far? You got Megan singing and, yeah, Callie reading and Josh doing announcements, all that good stuff. She literally just gave y'all a wave and a curtsy, so, uh, so I think she was welcoming the appreciation. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> who happened to be in the direction of everyone else. No, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Uh, hey, if you don't know me, my name is Josh. Uh, I serve as a lead pastor here, and so I think everyone in here has had a chance to, to have had a chance to meet with you. If you're going to watch online later, that's for you. Uh, but what we're going to do right now is we're going to go and continue our time in worship by jumping into our time in the Bible. And so this is a unique and powerful time for us as a church because we believe that these words are quite literally the, the revelation of God is how how theologians and, and all these intellectuals kind of say it, right? But, but we believe that it is actually God that gave us these words. And so when we open this book, we don't just read stories, though we definitely read stories, right? We don't just read dialogue, though we definitely read dialogue. We don't just read lessons, though we, we read lessons. But we, we actually are reading God saying, hey, this is what I want you to know. This is what I, I want to show you about myself. And so we believe that God meets us when we actually read these words and engage these words. And so that's why we believe this time is powerful. And, and we regularly say this. I regularly say this. I'm, I mean, the people that call Refuge Home are going to be like, dude, you say this every single time. But, but at this point, we really discourage you from, like, checking out and being like, all right, what, this guy's going to talk for a little bit. I'm going to go ahead and check out. Rather, we would encourage you to really kind of dig in and to kind of lean into this time, thinking to yourself, like, God, what do you want to show me? And how do you want to shape and form me through these words that you've given us to, to show me who you are? And so well, that's what we mean when we say continue our time in worship by engaging the Bible, because we really do believe that it's worshipful to go to his words and say, help me, shape me, meet me here. So how we're going to do that, though, is we're going to continue our time in a sermon series called The Heart. And this is really just a time where we're going to be focused on unpacking this idea of emotions. Any of you that were hoping for a biological lesson on the heart, this isn't the place for that. But we're talking about the thing that we we most often assume comes out of the heart, which is our emotions, right? Everything that we're feeling. And, and so the first week, we took a look at where emotions come from. And we learned, uh, I'm going to set this aside. Now, I do want y'all to know, usually I don't have the notes in front of me, but today we do got to work through a lot of things. So I'm going to bring this back in a second. And there's going to be a section where I'm heavily, heavily relying on those notes because I don't want to detour too much. But for this little review part, we'll be good. All right, so the first week, we went ahead and focused on the idea of, hey, where do emotions come from? And we learned that because God is an emotional God, and he made us to be in his image, right? We, we reflect that God. As a result, we too feel emotions. And so emotions as a whole are from God, but that's not the only place they come from, right? The individual emotions that we feel, right, they also come from what we love. They come from the things we hold dear. They come from the things that we value and the things that we treasure. And so that's a simple enough idea, right, because it's like saying, hey, I love my son. And so when my son is hanging from the monkey bars and he's like about to hurt himself, I think to myself like, Jude, no, don't. And, and yeah, that's, that's a pretty understandable idea. But, but it can get a little more complex than that as well, right? Because if you love comfort, this is the example we use in, in I think the first week. If you love comfort and you walk in and your wife has coincidentally broken the lawnmower uh, and you think to yourself, now I got to go get a new lawnmower. And, and I'm not using this as a personal example whatsoever. I could feel my wife smiling from the corner of my eye here, um, right? Like, like maybe you're frustrated because you think to yourself, man, 
I'm going to lose out a whole day of work, or now I have to go do all these other things before I cut the grass. And, and so anger spurs up from that. Why? Maybe because you love comfort. And so it's an idea that can be very simple, but it can also get a bit abstract. And so that was week one. And last week, we really tackled this idea of what do we do with those emotions? Because the reality is for a lot of us, we have an emotional experience. And, and there's a huge chunk of us in here that are like, I don't want anything to do with that. That terrifies me. And so we just kind of push that to the side and we decide, you know what, I'm never going to think about that thing again. We sweep it under uh, a rug, we sweep it under a basement, we dig a hole, we bury it, we lock that, and then we're like, I'm never going to see that thing again. And then there's a whole other group of us that are like, hey, every emotion that I feel, I want to just run with that emotion, right? I, I, that emotion is my guiding light, it's my compass. And, and we learned, right, that rather the scriptures don't give us that that invitation, they invite us to engage our emotions. They, they say to pour out our heart to God. Uh, that's what I mentioned a little bit earlier when I was standing here. And, and the way we painted that picture was this idea of, of working through our emotions by engaging them, by identifying them, examining them, evaluating them, and, and then finally after all that acting on them. And so having laid that groundwork, what we're going to do this week and for the next several weeks is we're going to work through specific negative emotional experiences. I think a lot of us have a good time with positive emotional experiences. I don't, I don't quite feel the need to work through those with you. If I right now was like, hey, uh, who was I was about to use UT football as an example from yesterday because you were right there. All right, you were right there. All right, I would even go so far to say in that moment we were right there because even I was invested. And y'all know I'm not like a big American football guy, but I was sitting there like, oh, man, UT's going to win. And I was so excited. And then that man got on that field. What, what is uh, Alabama's quarterback? Doesn't matter. The dude is cold. So, right. But all of us had that great feeling of excitement and, and kind of joy as, as we saw the game unfolding and got really excited thinking like, hey, I think UT's going to win. And so we, we're familiar with that. But oftentimes when it comes to negative emotional experiences, we look and we go, oh, I don't want that. Right? We, we oftentimes can confuse those as negative, confuse those as bad. And so what we're going to do is we're actually going to work through uh, negative emotional experiences using the foundation that we've built the first couple of weeks to start engaging in these subjects. And, and uh, now I'm moving, I'm moving these notes back because, like I said, I want to make sure that I keep you all in a, in, a, in a good amount of time here. And we all know that I'm liable to go a good 45 if I'm not, if I'm not ready here. So, uh, and, and we're going to start with really one of the most pervasive negative experiences that we all have, and that's the idea of fear. Uh, fear is absolutely everywhere. In the English language, feelings that really begin with the root of fear are plentiful. You have concern, worry, anxiety, feeling haunted, scared, afraid, panicked, terrified. All of these may have some minor differences, but at their root, they share something in common. They spring from the well of fear. And so the thing is, when you have that many words, it, kind of approaching a single idea, right, it means that you've probably hit on something that's culturally valuable. Because people don't figure out 80,000 different words to communicate one idea unless that thing is pretty prevalent and around and always in front of you. Um, while many of us struggle to put even this idea into words, the reality is, is that fear is a driving factor for many of us in this room. Right, maybe it drives you uh, to avoid situations or maybe it drives you to give yourself and to run into situations. Maybe it tells you to cling to certain things or certain people or maybe it tells you uh, rather to purge yourself of certain things or certain people. Maybe it tells you that you don't need anyone. On the opposite side, maybe it tells you that you desperately need someone, right? No matter which of these you relate to more, the reality is that fear is a powerful emotion. It shapes our minds, it shapes our hearts, it entices us, kind of says, hey, 
hey, I have something to offer you. And today we're going to take a look at fear, specifically in the life of Paul here, what we read a little bit ago. And what I want us to take away as one major point is this, that engaging fear, right, helps us surrender to God what is most valuable to us, giving him space to provide what we most need. Now, again, remember, the framework for fear oftentimes is I don't want to deal with it or I'm just going to give myself over to it. But rather what we're saying is that engaging fear, being honest with it, confronting it, facing it, right? Engaging fear helps us surrender to God what is most valuable to us, giving him space to provide what we most need, right? to provide what we most need. And so we're going to go ahead and work through this idea uh, in a more intimate way by working out two ideas from our text today. First, we're going to find fear in our lives. You get what I mean by that? If that's a little abstract, a little hard to follow, you'll see what I'm saying in a second. And second, we're going to, after that, kind of work through the idea of what it means to engage fear in our lives. What does it look like to engage fear in our lives? So let's go ahead and start by finding fear. And what I want to do is, I'm not sure if we even have it in there, but I want to reread verse 28. Uh, verse, chapter 11, verse 28, 2 Corinthians says this, Not to mention other things, there is the, di- the daily pressure on me, my concern for all the churches. Now, in order to understand why this is really powerful, we have to understand a bit of the context behind these couple of verses. We're only reading a couple here uh, to kind of zone in on a point, but, but this couple is in a bigger picture called 2 Corinthians. And 2 Corinthians is in a bigger picture called the New Testament. And the New Testament is in a bigger picture called the whole Bible. And so we want to make sure we, we respect the fact that all of this is, is working together. And so to understand the context a bit, we're reading one of Paul's letters to the Corinthian church. This was a church in a, in a city called Corinth in the ancient world. Now, here's the thing. It was probably Paul's third letter, not his second letter. If you want to know more about that nerdy fact, email me and I'll give you all the nerdy information about it. But we're going to set that one aside for a moment. Now, this Corinthian church was a church embattled in a fight between Paul and what Paul describes as false prophets. He even uses this very humorous phrase a little bit later uh, in chapter 12 where he calls them super apostles. And he's like, yeah, these super apostles, right? And, and he's saying it very, in a, almost like a mocking tone. They're waging war against Paul by basically being like, yo, this man is weak. This man is small. This man is frail. And they're kind of just ragging on him. And so much of what we read in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians is actually kind of this defense of of Paul, uh, too, about what God has done in his life, about what God is doing in his life, how God is leading him. All the while, he at the same time is trying to guide and pastor this church from afar, writing them letters and, and feeling burdened for them and for other churches. And, and these ideas, right, these themes of almost like defense and care, pastoring while, while trying to navigate what it means to kind of show like, hey, I'm actually like anointed by God, really flesh out and are almost really highlighted in the verses that we, we have in front of us today. And so after working through some theological ideas and teachings through the first part of the book, in the beginning, uh, Paul, again, now that we're coming to, to the later chapters, uh, starts to defend his character in ministry a bit. And, and this time he starts by highlighting how he suffered. And so if you start rather than 28, right up at verse 24, he starts out being like, man, I've been beaten this many times. I've been whipped this many times. I've been thrown in jail. I've been all this stuff. All these things that I've been through, right? And, and, and all of that, he says, There's another layer on top of it. I've been through all that stuff, but then in addition to that, there's this daily pressure that I feel. And this daily pressure is his concern for the church. 
And this is really interesting because it, it puts us face to face with an idea that is pretty much synonymous with fear. In fact, the original Greek word here for concern is actually anxiety. It's worry. It's him saying on top of being beaten, on top of being whipped, on top of being tortured, on top of being in prison, I have this daily pressure. And what is that daily pressure? It's almost a fear, an anxiety, a concern, a burden for the churches that I know. And here's why we're starting here, friends. Here's why we're starting right here. Because some of us, even in this room, even in a room this size, right, have been taught that fear is inherently a wrong feeling. That fear is inherently a wrong feeling. We've been told, well, the Bible says not to fear some odd times, and it's like so many times, and so you really shouldn't ever fear. And if you fear, it's because you lack faith. And so the moment fear comes, we feel guilt about it. We feel this sort of, of, of riddled shame that we feel scared of something. And for some of us, that guilt pulls us in the direction of isolating. It pulls us in the direction of covering up. It pulls us in the direction of shame. It pulls us in the direction of hiding and getting away. Well, at the same time, for others, that guilt drives us, right, to think that everything you're scared of, God wants you to tackle, right? That everything you're afraid of, God must want you to go and overcome that thing because you shouldn't be scared of it because it's wrong to be scared. In fact, it would be godly if you just went and took the mountain and showed fear that your God is bigger. And so, to be honest, that group right there, if I'm being lovingly honest with you, you are probably in the middle of trying to do so much more than you should by yourself because you think that the feeling you had when you were scared of something was God saying, you shouldn't be scared of that because I'm bigger. And you're trying to do way more than you should. You're in the middle of trying to do way more than you should, all because someone looked at you and said, fear's a bad thing. Fear's not a bad thing. The reality is, friend, neither is right. Fear is not right. Fear is not wrong. You're not meant to jump into the battle. You're not meant to hide away. Fear can be wrong, but fear can also be right. And that's because of the nature of fear. What is the nature of fear? Well, well this is the nature of fear. Fear means that something we value is under threat. That's all fear is. Fear means that something we value is under threat. That something we value is, is, is kind of uh, in a dangerous situation. Here's the thing, for Paul, seeing the church in a spiritually vulnerable place caused him to what? To fear, to be anxious, to be scared, to worry. This is a healthy fear in Paul that drives him to God, to praying to God, asking God to help and asking God to guide him in showing him how he can work through, uh, how God can work through Paul in order to serve churches. But here's the thing, I want to also acknowledge that for us, Right, Fear may have a lot of different origins and may have very different responses as well. Again, I'm not telling you that fear is right. I'm telling you that fear is neutral. I'm telling you that fear is a feeling that tells you something you value is under threat. And so for you, maybe you value relationships. Maybe you value friendships. And so in all your relationships, you overly try to help and be, uh, help the other person and, and kind of protect the relationship and serve them and always lay your life down. And while at the beginning, for all of us kind of know, right, in the honeymoon phases of a relationship, we all feel like that's really cute. And then all of a sudden, years down the line, someone feels a little bit like suffocated and feels like, hey, well, what do you want to do? And they're like, no, no, what do you want to do? And it's like, no, no I just want to know what you want to do. No, no, but, but what do you, I want to do whatever you want to do. Uh, fam, I know, I want to do what you want to do. Well, I want to do what you want to do. And everybody's like, dude, can we just make up a, yeah, can we make a choice here? All of a sudden you feel suffocated and you realize that this fear of losing a relationship leads to this overprotectiveness that tends to suffocate down that relationship, right? You fear is what? The, 
the, the threat that something, you, or, or the feeling that there's something you value is under, is, is threatened, right? And so in, in addition, though, right, we can change this up a little bit. Maybe you value relationships and, and we'll put anything, we'll put up with anything because you're scared of being alone, right? And so the, the value there is what? I, I, I want to have someone. I want to have someone by me. I want to have someone with me. And here's the thing. I'll be willing to put up with anything to ensure that I never have to say bye to that thing. So no matter how you want to treat me, no matter how you want to abuse me, no matter how you want to neglect me, I'll put up with it. Why? Because what I value is having you. And anytime that's under threat, I'll do anything in order to protect it. All right, here, here's another one. I'm just going to go one more because I feel like getting a little deep and I feel like even, the, t- even the, 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 the energy of the crowd is getting a bit like, oh, this is turning in a very serious tone right now. Uh, maybe you value financial security, right? Here's a, here's a less personal one. You value financial security. On a healthy level, this probably just means you work really hard, right? You probably have a hard working demeanor, and that's not bad, right? But, but when fear is at work in an unhealthy way, and, and when it's unveiling the things that we value and unveiling how much we value them, and it's, again, in an unhealthy context, you feel that financial security is under threat, and maybe it drives you to cheat in some way, right? To, to gain finances in a way that's unhealthy, maybe even in a way that's illegal, I don't know if any of y'all seen the show Breaking Bad, but <laughs> basically the whole show is about that. You see, what I'm trying to get to you, to you here, friends, the point that I'm trying to make to you that I really want you to take away is that fear isn't the issue in these instances. It's not the virus. It's the symptom. Right? Fear is the symptom, but it's not the virus. Fear exposes what we value, but our response to fear tends Uh, to therefore tell us whether we're valuing something in healthy ways, in unhealthy ways. And here's the thing, sweeping something under the rug or following fear straight away, right? These do little to dictate, these do little to unveil, little to help us understand what fear is trying to help us understand, right? They do little to to help us learn, here's what my heart's doing, here's what my heart is valuing. Rather, friends, here's the thing. What we're supposed to do here with fear is that we're supposed to engage fear. Again, engage it. Not to sweep it away, not to follow it, but to engage it so that we can understand heart, fear. What are you trying to tell me? What do I value? Right? What, what, what is it that you're telling me that I, I long for? Right? That's the healthy way we're supposed to engage fear. And so what does that look like? What does engaging fear in our lives look like? Well, look at verse 29 through 30. I want you to take a look at verses 29 through 30. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? If boasting is necessary, I will boast about my weaknesses. Again, seems pretty plain, right? And in a Christian world, it's kind of like, oh yeah, that's like good. So I should walk around and be very vulnerable and like understand where I'm weak and embrace those weaknesses. But the thing is, that's like, that's a little bit less than what's happening here when we read Paul's words. Right, like from what we know uh, from the first and second Corinthian books is that a major complaint against Paul was what? I said it before, that he wasn't strong enough, that he wasn't powerful enough, that he was kind of frail. And so they said, man, this man is weak. This man is always hurt. He's always injured. He's always suffering. He's frail. He looks kind of like sickly when he's around. He looks kind of skinny. Like, I don't know, there's something about this guy that makes me think not powerful God. I don't know, there's just something about him. And, and now, remember, again, the letters to the Corinthians are in a way apart, uh, in a part, a way for Paul to defend himself. 
they're him saying like, hey, no, I mean, like God has done a work in me. He's working in me, like in, in terms of my work for you. He's empowered me. I'm an apostle. I met Jesus, right? He's saying a lot of powerful things. And a part of that is because he's trying to defend himself, trying to, to shape and kind of refute some of these ideas. And he's saying he's an actual apostle, that God has met him. And, and here in this verse is a part of his defense. And his defense is what? I'm going to boast in my weaknesses. I'm going to boast in some of the very things that you say are true about me. You say I'm weak. My response to you, friend, is that you're probably right. You say that I'm frail. My response to you, friend, that you're probably right. Right? You say that I'm, I'm sickly, that I'm always injured. He's like, I want to refer you to the list that I just put back about five sentences ago where I got beat up like a million times. You're probably right. I do probably show up around you and look pretty sickly and look pretty injured and look pretty frail and look pretty hurt. You're right. That's what I'll boast in, though, not, not what I'll be ashamed of. Fam, how? How? I don't know about you, but I want you to seriously look at that and think to yourself, how? Because here's the real deal, Holyfield. If someone looked at you and was like, man, you're kind of sickly and a little bit, like, useless, and I don't really find, like, a lot of, like, reason to have you around. I don't care who you are in this room, myself included. The natural gut response is to be like, I'll show you sickly. Like, bro, I'll show you so much. I have, I'm way more useful than you are. Like, I don't, that's the natural response. Just to say, hey, no, 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 that's not right. Let me show you how valuable I can be. Let me show you how useful I can be. And let me be honest, friend. This is a side note. This ain't in the notes. And the moment I step away, it comes out, right? I want to be honest with you. That's a part of the reason why some of us struggle to engage the gospel in a meaningful way. Because every time we're confronted with our weaknesses, every time we're confronted with our insufficiencies, every time we're confronted with our frailties, our response becomes, no, 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 I can figure it out. No, 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 I, I can be better. Instead of saying, yeah, 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 that's probably right. So how did Paul do this? And likewise, how in the world can we do it? Because likewise, I don't want to be the guy that's sitting there trying to argue how useful I am. Well, I firmly believe, friend, that, that Paul did what we're talking about. All right. All right. So there may or may have not been an explosion right now. I, don't, I can't honestly tell you. So uh, here's the thing. What we'll do is I don't know if this is on or not. Don't take, don't look at this. Pay attention to me, and we'll get through it together, all right? Um, now, that does unfortunately mean that I need to be on these notes for real, for real. So uh, how, does, how do we, therefore, start to engage our emotions the way Paul did so that we can actually come up in a place where we're responding to these type of things in a healthy way? Again, that's an extraordinarily healthy reaction from Paul. How can I do that? Well, I want us to, to kind of start working into that system that we looked at last week, right? What would it look like for us to start engaging fear in a way where we identified it, examined it, uh, evaluated it, and acted on it, right? Again, I don't know if that's what Paul did. I don't know if Paul was like, I need to identify my emotions. I don't know, but I know that he was very familiar with them. 
I know that he had to work through those initial ones that said, no, 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 you're wrong, to arrive at a place where he said, no, nah, you're probably right, but that's exactly what I'm fixing to boast in. How can we do that? Well, again, there's probably a lot of ways, but, but the way we talked about last week was this idea of identifying, examining, evaluating, and acting. And so here's what we're going to do. We want to work through that in a practical way over the next few minutes regarding the emotion of fear. Why? Because I think what we want to do right now is practically walk through how we can engage this in a healthy way. And I want to show you what that can look like. Now, when it comes to the idea of identifying one of these emotions, right, identifying specifically the feeling of fear, there's three things I would want you to keep a heads up for, right? The first is physical characteristics. The second is patterns of behavior. And the third is what if questions, right? Physical characteristics, patterns of behavior, and what if questions. Why those three things? Because fear has some pretty common calling cards, right? Uh, fear has that thing where you start to sweat and your, your, your hands get like a little clammy and your heart starts to race a little bit and you're not sure why. And you start thinking to yourself, did I have too much coffee today or something? And like you have that feeling of being a little bit anxious and there's that innate feeling of like, I think I might be getting a little freaked out by something. But in addition to that, let me, be, let me be honest and let's be real with each other. Sometimes some of us are walking around like, man, my stomach hurts. And really it's because we're just bottling up anxiety like a son of a gun, right? We're just sitting there just, just keeping it all in and all of a sudden you got to go to the bathroom three times a day. Or likewise, you, got, you can't go to the bathroom for three days. And so, you know, all, so there's some very common physical characteristics that we can start to look at to think, am I scared? Am I fearful? But here's the thing, there's also patterns of behavior. Maybe when you feel fearful, you start to respond by running to something specific. Man, for some of us, maybe you drink a little bit when you, when you feel scared, right? Maybe 99% of the time, you could look at yourself and be like, no, 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 I feel real comfortable with the beer or with uh, a drink or whatever. But, but maybe when you're feeling a little bit scared, that, that number goes from two to three to four to five, and all of a sudden, you found yourself escaping the feelings of fear, right? Maybe it's that you run to make sure that you have some type of comfort in the midst of fear. So you turn on the TV and you start watching more than you ever did before because you feel that comfort. You want to feel the escape and you feel scared. You don't want to feel scared. And so now you're like, let me just get away from this by watching TV, by reading a book, by doing X, Y, and Z. That sort of escapism can start telling you, hey, maybe you're freaking out about something. Maybe you're worried. Maybe you're scared. Maybe you're wrestling with fear. But maybe one of the most common ones is, is just the reality of what if questions, right? If, if you're at home and you're wrestling with these questions about, I don't know what I'm feeling, am, am I feeling scared? A common, common thing that's going to happen is in your mind, right, in that internal voice, we'll probably start doing things like saying, man, what if this happens? What if I don't have enough money for this? What if my grade is this? What if my boss thinks this? Right? What, what, if, what if next year is this? Right? Like all those what if questions start to tell you that there's something you value out there. There's something that you hold dear and you may feel like it's threatened. And therefore, you're curious about what will happen if the worst that you can imagine happens to that thing that you value. What if questions will be running through your mind? Right. These are all ways you can start to ask yourself, am I wrestling with fear? Well, again, what are your physical characteristics? What are your patterns of behavior? And, and are you asking some what if questions now? Uh, here's the other thing I, I wanted to add this. It's also just useful to make sure that you're, uh, you're tracking with this, that, that again, this is about something we value being threatened. And, and so if, if something that you value, someone that you value, seems to be threatened, maybe you're not feeling it yet, but the reality is fear may just come. And maybe you ain't processing it yet. Maybe you're not there with it yet. 
but it's coming. Why? Because something you love is threatened. And so that's something to kind of just keep in mind. Maybe you're not feeling it yet, but maybe you can see and already hear your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your wife, your, your, your roommate, your husband, your girlfriend, your, your, your kids, whatever, saying things that seem to indicate that they're under threat. And maybe you're processing it still. Maybe you're getting ready, but fear may be coming as a result of that. Now, here's the thing. This is, this is really important to understand, hey, am I dealing with fear? So when we get to the next one, this idea of examining fear, right, we get a good grip on, on what it is that we're actually working with. Because once we identify, hey, I think I'm scared, that's when we can take a step into this examining type of thing. And, and here's the thing. There's a few questions, and I don't think they're going to be up here yet, but uh, it's a few questions that you can ask yourself to really start examining this idea of fear that you're working with. The first one is in what context do I feel this fear? Meaning in what, when do I feel scared? That's probably a good question to ask yourself because if you can identify when you're getting scared, you can probably start to identify the second question, what is it that I value in this situation? If you don't know when you're getting scared, then it will be impossible for you to understand why you're getting scared. Does that make sense? Right, if you're all of a sudden thinking like, I don't know, I just get scared sometimes, but you never have a grasp on I think I'm getting scared in a pattern because in this pattern, what I value is this, and maybe that thing that I value is under threat. And so again, the first question would be, in what context do I feel fear? Why am I feeling fear? And then the second question, like it, that I already kind of alluded to, what am I valuing? Right? What am I valuing in these situations? Right? Let, let me give you an example. When I'm scared to confront someone about something they've done that hurts me, what am I valuing underneath it? Right? If you're having some relational strife with someone and you recognize like every time I'm in this situation, I'm feeling kind of scared. I get this real anxious feeling. All of a sudden, right, you, you start to go, I don't want to do that. Or you're like, I'm just going to start an argument. Right? Like, I don't know. If you're, in the, if you're in the hide one, good for you. I'm very much in the start an argument camp. Okay? So, but, but if that's when you're starting to feel that, maybe it's because you value something in that environment. Maybe you value that person so you don't want to offend them, so you don't want to bring it up. Maybe you value your reputation and what it means for you to, to be this type of person that you want to be. And so when they do something, it feels disrespectful, and so you jump into an argument. You have to see when do I get scared? When do I experience fear in order to understand why am I, what am I valuing underneath that's driving this fear? Once we understand what we're valuing and we understand uh, kind of what we're valuing and why we're getting scared, right, then we can move on to evaluating those values evaluating those fears. Is this, uh, dang it, okay, we're, I'm sorry, this would be so much more helpful with this, but it's okay, we're tracking, come on, we just keep going. All right, so as we move into this idea of evaluating something, right, evaluating our values, evaluating why we're scared, right, a good question to start asking yourself here, is my reaction to this fear godly and constructive, or am I, or am I acting in destructive and sinful ways? Right, is my reaction to this fear godly and constructive, or am I acting in destructive and sinful ways? Again, this doesn't speak to fear itself because two people can feel dramatically, I mean, overwhelmingly similar senses of fear responding completely different ways. And so you have to ask yourself the question, is this fear driving me to be sinful, driving me to be godly? Right, again, if you want to look at Paul, right, his concern for the churches, healthy, right, why? Because his value is clearly this desire for them to be blessed, for them to be cared for, 
right? He, he's probably wrestling with the sense of his reputation because literally the people are making fun of him, right? But at the same time, he narrows in and says, my main value is that they would be cared for. He fights for them to be cared for. And he responds by saying, my biggest burden is, is you. I want you to be healthy. He seeks God on their behalf, right? Like, like is it driving you to be sinful? Is it driving you to be uh, godly? And the next question is really difficult. Uh, this is kind of the last one we'll work through, and in, in that's, that's really kind of super practical. Should I even care about this threatened thing in my life? Right, or to put it another way, how does God see your situation? Let me, let me just level with us. Let us all be very vulnerable and transparent with each other for a second, right? Uh, if you're struggling with watching or viewing inappropriate things online, and, and you can feel yourself constantly pulled to this thing, constantly tempted by it, constantly giving into it, and it births a certain sense of anxiety that one day someone will find out. Friend, the issue with that is not that you're worried about it. The issue with that is that you love something that's horrible for your life, right? That's what it looks like to say, should I even be worried about this thing? Because a lot of us have this feeling, and I relate to to those of you that related to that idea, I relate with you, right? Because all of you, I mean, I said this the other day. Um, I said this the other day that I was up here the other day and I was like, you know, because I think I consider myself kind of like an aggressive person and like that whole side of the room started laughing and I felt very insecure about it. <laughs> like I felt wildly insecure about it because I was like, why is that got to be like something you all laugh at? Like how come, is it that ev evident, right? Is it, do you just look at me and think like, oh, that guy gets into fights, right? Like that, that guy will start an argument. Why? Because he's just very aggressive. It made me very insecure. And let me be honest, that's something that I think about, right? Like I, I can feel and sense an insecurity when it comes to like, when my son's not listening, I can feel my anger resting up. And every once in a while, I have to like grab him and be like, hey, man, and, and like kind of like look at his little face and be like, I need you to listen to me, brother. You're about to kill yourself or something, right? Like, I, and all of a sudden, that sense inside of me starts going, man, that was a little too rough. And I even have that, and let me be very honest with you, we have like security cameras all around our house. And I will literally at times think to myself like, man, that security camera's right there. Is the issue that I should, I'm gonna get caught is the thing that, I'm, that I should be most scared of, that I should be most fearful of, that that camera saw me, I had to grab my son and be like, hey man, look at me. No, the thing that my, my heart should fear the most is that I'm impatient and maybe overly aggressive with my son. Right, but, but we have to understand what am I valuing, what am I even scared of? Because it's easy in that moment if I'm not doing the work to think to myself, oh yeah, it's just him. It's just him. It's just that he's frustrating and he's making me do all these things, but I'm having to be worried about if other people see me be like this, X, Y, and Z. No, 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 no. No, ask yourself, should I even be worried about this? Right, is it even godly? Does God want me to be worried about this? Or would he, in his infinite grace, want this to be brought to the light so that in the light I can start to receive the healing that I desperately need in this space? Friends, sometimes the actual fact that you have anxiety, again, is not revealing that you're, you're valuing something um, too much or, or something too little. Sometimes the reality is that our fear lets us know we're valuing something that shouldn't be valued at all. But again, only in understanding, hey, what, what's happening here? Should I even be valuing this? But on the flip side, when it comes to evaluating your fear, you need to also be cognizant of the fact that there's things that you should value that you value too much. And this likewise puts us in these positions where maybe for some of us, we want to be godly, 
We want to be a faithful follower of Jesus. We want people to see us and be like, man, I see. And because I can like smell Jesus on you, dog. And then all of a sudden when the moment comes where we feel like we've fallen short of that by just this much, all of a sudden we're ready to just, just cancel all of our relationships until we get ourselves together. Right? That's what it looks like to recognize I should be worried about this. I should be worried about being a godly person. I should be worried about being a godly mom, a godly dad, a godly husband, a godly wife, a godly coworker, a godly X, Y, and Z. But when that thing becomes the supreme thing and I'm now worrying about it too much, it becomes the defining thing. When I miss that thing and when that thing is taken from me, all of a sudden I can go into shambles, right? Like, like that's what it looks like to, to have something you should value, but you're valuing it too much, right? And so again, two questions for evaluating your fear. Should I even be valuing this thing? And if I should be, do I value it too much? Is it leading to godly or sinful behavior? And then from there, we get to the point of acting, but that really is going to be dependent on everything else we've worked out. But here's one thing I would tell you when it comes to the idea of acting on your emotion. If it leads you away from coming to God and engaging him through the context of of your devotional life, of your spiritual life, of your prayer life, engaging him in the realm of community. If you come out the other side, engaging your emotions and you're taken away from that, just be careful. Be careful. You might've had something go wrong in there. I'm not gonna say that's a universal rule because I think there may be times where your circle has to come in a little bit. Maybe you've been hurt by people. I, I get that in a way. But at the same time, at large, generally, if you evaluate your emotions, you examine them, you identify them, and at the end, what you feel called to do is act by, by pulling away from God, pulling away from community, pulling away from vulnerability, something in that might have got a little mixed up. So just be careful. All right. Again. No, nothing. Okay. So that's what it looks like to practically work through fear, right, in this in this system we've set up of identify, examine, evaluate, act. And here's why that's important, friend. Overall, here's why that's important. I 100% believe that what Paul did is work through what he was feeling. I don't know if he did it quite like that. Darn it. I don't know if he did it quite like that, but I know he did it in some shape, form, or fashion. But here's the thing. In every one of those spaces, I know that the gospel was involved. I know that the gospel was involved. I know that working through fear, working through what it would have looked like for them to say, you're frail and you're weak, for Paul to say, you're right, would have required him to look at the grace, the grace and mercy and love of God and to rely on that more than he relied on what he thought about himself or what these people thought about him. Because there's no way you come to that realization and you're just fine and you're just okay. And friend, the, the biggest reason it's important to work through <laughs> I'm sorry, I pointed at this again and I saw y'all looking at it again. The biggest reason why it's important for us to be able to work through these things is precisely that. Because it's only when we start to understand what am I valuing, what, what do I love, right? Is it right? Is it wrong? Is it leading to sinfulness? Is it leading to godliness? Do we start to give God the space to say, no, you are wrong there, but I will be right for you. And I still love you. And I'm still calling you. And I'm still present with you. Friend, the only time you give God to space to be the redeemer is when you invite him into the places that you need redemption. That's what I'm trying to tell you. The only time God has a space to be the redeemer is when you invite him into the spaces that need redemption. If all you keep doing is figuring out how you can best get by 
in some way and avoid things in certain ways, and all you do is invite him to see you after you finish that process, then the only thing you have him do is affirm the things that you want him to affirm. And that's not what God's trying to do in your life. That may not even be God at all, if I'm being honest with you. But when we invite him into the minutia of what it looks like to say, here is my heart. Here's every element of my heart. Here's what I value. Here's what I hate. Here's what I value too much. Here's what I value too little. The Redeemer gets the opportunity to work in our hearts and say, I've seen that. I've known that. I've known that since the day you were born and I knew who you were going to be when you were created. But I came to die for you anyway so that in me you would feel the, ex the exact things that you need. And so as you bring these realities to me, you would find the deepest longings of your heart in me. Right? All these things that we're hoping for, all these things that we're longing for can be found in this Jesus. But friend, oftentimes the reality is when our heart says, I need him, we go, shut up. No, you don't. I'll figure this out. I got that. All the while, your heart fear is saying, I need him. I need him. Here's the reality, friend. I have gone, what I would say, just about my whole life, working through these emotions that we're talking about, fear. We're going to talk about anger. We're going to talk about guilt and shame. And sorrow is the other one. I've gone basically my whole life, 32 years now, trying to figure out what these mean, getting to the other side, figuring out what I think I should do, and then saying, God, help me. Help me do this thing. And the reality is I don't want to do that anymore. And I don't want you to do that. I don't want us to be these people that, that constantly feel these, these signposts that say, you need the Redeemer. And then go, I'll figure that out. And then go, okay, now that I think I, I have the direction, I'm going to ask him to come along and help me in my own way. Friend, I want us to be rich with the scent. And hear me, I want to be a man, a human, a follower that says, here's my heart. Shape me and mold me and form me and send me where you want to send me. And if it means I have to encounter scary things, God, let me encounter scary things because help me know that in the midst of all these things that I'm scared of and that I'm fearful of and the things that I value that are under threat and the things that I love that seem to be uh, at risk, help me realize that in the midst of all of, it is, in all of it is the Redeemer saying, I'm with you. I love you. We're working together. I, I, will, I will carry you. I will sustain you. I will be your refuge. Pour out your strength to me. Your salvation depends on me. Man, that's where I want to be. That's where I want you to be. So, friend, as we take on these tasks, I want you to be reminded of the fact that this is not just so that we can work out our emotions in a helpful way and be like, I think I'm emotionally healthy. I hope you are. <laughs> I hope I am too. <laughs> like, I really want to work at that, and I hope you do too. But really, friends, this is all for the sake of saying, God, in the spaces that I need you to be the redeemer, come be it for me. When I need you to be my strength, be it for me. When I need you to be my rock, be it for me. When I need you to be my refuge, be it for me. And the only time we begin to understand what we actually need is when we begin to understand what our heart is actually asking for. And that means engaging these emotions, engaging fear, engaging it and saying, wherever I am, I know you've come to meet me. So I'm going to turn to you and pour out my heart. Friend, that's the goal of this. Again, to unveil, right, what we most value so that we can surrender it to God and then he can do what he wants to do in our heart.
Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for...